The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plain Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at plainecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. This episode is a recording of a very special event I attended on Sunday, the 8th of June, 2014, at the Auckland War Memorial Museum. It was the annual Bomber Command Commemoration, run by the New Zealand Bomber Command Association. The MC for the event was Phil Ferner. Association for donating all the poppies today that will be uh, 
a bit later on. Alright, we have a number of uh, special guests with us today. Um, we have the Honorary Consul for the Kingdom of Belgium, Elizabeth Jacobs. The Honorary Consul of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, Renee Van Brin. The Honorary Consul of the Republic of Poland, Mr. Bogosław Nowak. Air Vice Marshal Mike Yardin, Chief of the Air Force. Colonel Tim Woodman, the United Kingdom Defence Advisor. Group Captain Mike Longstaff, representing the Royal Air Force. Wing Commander Stuart Oliver, representing the Royal Australian Air Force. The RNZAF Chaplain, Squadron Leader, the Reverend Stuart Height. Air Vice Marshal Peter Adamson, Chairman of the Air Force Museum. Therese Angelo, Director of the Air Force Museum. Wing Commander Gordon Ragg, JP, sorry, AFC, JP, RNZAF Retired, representing the RSA. We also have Pat Johnson, who is also representing the RSA. And Yep, uh, Michael Frawley, Chief Executive Officer for MOTAC. Right, I'd now like to call upon Ron Mayhill, the President of the Bond Command Association, to welcome you and uh, make an address. Thank you, Ron. Distinguished guests, Chief of Air Force, RNZAF, British and Australian High Commissions, Belgian, Dutch, Polish Consuls, representatives of the RAF, RAAF, RNZAF, the Air Force Museum, MOTAT, RSA, our chaplain, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the seventh annual Bomber Command Memorial Service. It's held each year close to the Queen's birthday. In this Hall of Memories, a fitting place to honour all those in Bomber Command who gave their lives in the European Bomber Offensive. Similar services are being held in London, Toronto and Canberra. The tragic losses in Bomber Command affected a great number of families. This is seen in the great number here, and also in the wreaths, poppies, crosses, photos that appear daily at the Bomber Command Memorial in London. We honour our fallen Bomber Command comrades especially from Britain, Canada and Australia and New Zealand that suffered such huge losses. Most New Zealanders in Bomber Command trained in Canada under the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan. Canada was an ideal place with its wide open spaces, distance from enemy action, and long periods of settled weather. It also had railway running east-west with conveniently placed grain elevators with their location names emblazoned on them. That was a great aid to navigation. We got to know large areas of the country and most of us stayed with Canadian families on leave. The New Zealanders travelled on troop ships with the Australians, whom we always considered our very close friends. After gaining our wings, we completed our training in Britain, where we were thrilled to discover so many places and names familiar to us from childhood. We stayed with British families under the 
Lady Ryder scheme. And there were British on every squadron and in most of our crews. Nearly 40% of Bomber Command losses were British. The Canadians in sixth group lost 10,000 young men. The Australians with eight squadrons lost 4,000. New Zealand lost 1,800. A quarter of them from 75 New Zealand squadron. There are very close bonds between bomber command types. During the wonderful trip to Britain in 2012, to see the Queen unveil the statues in Green Park, we were invited to the Guildhall by the Lord Mayor. And after the ceremonies, we were able to mingle with hundreds of veterans and we had a great time exchanging badges and memories of places, towns, villages and pubs. We in Bomber Command are certainly a close band of brothers and though our numbers are dwindling, although we've got many representatives here today, the spirit of Bomber Command will be ever-present. Uh, thank you, Ron. I'd now like to invite the Royal New Zealand Air Force Chaplain, Squadron, Riga, uh, Squadron Leader, the Reverend Stuart Height, to conduct the service. Good morning. This morning, in the presence of God, who is our strength and refuge, we come to remember those who served and died in Bomber Command during World War II. We give thanks to God Almighty for those who came together from the Commonwealth, Europe and the United Kingdom to serve in a common purpose. We remember with thanksgiving the men and women who served in Bomber Command leaving homes and families to which so many of them would never return. Many of them laid down their lives in the cause of justice, freedom and peace. By their costly and sacrificial endeavour, the powers of evil and darkness were defeated and overcome. We remember all those who still bear the scars of conflict in body, mind and spirit. And we pray for the bereaved families and their friends. We do pray for peace between the nations of Europe since the end of World War II and for the extension of unity, concord and understanding across that continent. We pray for the realisation of peace in all those places where there is war and conflict. We pray for those who work for peace and we do so rejoicing in the power and grace of Christ who is the Prince of Peace that swords can be beaten into ploughshares and old and bitter enemies can yield their hatred and find enduring fellowship. In praise and thanksgiving remembrance and hope. We pray for the coming of God's kingdom on earth and the words our Saviour taught us. And if we could all say the Lord's Prayer together. <coughs> our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our treasures. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and increases the power of the weak. Even the youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Prayers this morning uh, punctuated by uh, the words and bold print there, if uh, we could all say those together when I reach that point. Almighty God, from you alone comes wisdom and understanding. We humbly ask you to bless and inspire the hearts and minds of those who bear the responsibility of government in every country, and the Queen and all those in authority under her. Give to them the wisdom of your truth and righteousness, and guide them to work together for justice and for peace. Lord, hear our prayer. Almighty God, your love enfolds us both in life and death. We thank you for the men and women who serve Bomber Command, for those who gave their lives, health, and for those who survived, for their families and all who supported them. We thank you for their sacrifice, their loyalty, their commitment, their courage, their devotion to duty. Keep us through their example, always loyal in our service, in danger, when there is danger and calm, in conflict, bold, in resolve, undaunted, and in success, free of pride. Lord, hear Almighty God, we thank you for those whose lives were defended by the service of Bomber Command and offer our debt of gratitude for our own lives and our liberty. We pray for all those who suffer as a result of war and conflict, for the injured, the wounded, the hurt, the bereaved, the homeless, the refugees, for the fearful and the oppressed, for the prisoners and the vulnerable, and those who are vulnerable who seek to bring relief and protection. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Right, um, I'd now like to call upon the Honorary Council of the Republic of Poland, Mr. Bogoslaw Noe, to address you. Germans attacked Poland 
Second World War began. On the 3rd of September, Great Britain, allies of Poland, declared war on Germany. Australia, India, Canada, and New Zealand soon followed. The news brought a big joy to Poles who expected that any moment British and French armies would attack Germany from the west, bringing some relief to Polish army. In reality, help from the West never came. It's September, in September 1939, Pope stand alone against mighty Wehrmacht and Luftwaffe. German expected to finish its Polish campaign during a couple of days, but Polish resistance was strong. It was not a blitzkrieg like some historian called German advance. 2,500 German stands against 500 Polish tanks, 2,000 aircraft against 400. Despite that, Poles fought for 35 days. If you look at the distance from the Polish-German border to Warsaw, which at the time was around 250 kilometers, you will realize that it was not a blitzkrieg. Polish defense could last much longer, but Unexpectedly, on 17 September, Polish forces received a big blow from the Soviets, who crossed the Polish border from the east under the pretext that they wanted to protect Russian and Belarusian minorities who lived in the eastern part of Poland. Polish troops were forced to fight alone, not only against Germany, but also Soviet armies, and additionally against three Slovak divisions and one Ukrainian region. As I said, Polish never received a help. The last heroic battle was fought on 5th October. Poland finally surrendered to Germany and Soviet Union. Those soldiers and officers who avoided capture by Germans or Russians escaped by Romania and Hungary to France with intention to continue the fight with enemies. France soon became the next target for the Third Reich. France's campaign lasted shorter than Polish one, despite military support from Great Britain and from several thousand Polish troops. After defeat by Germans, surviving British, French, and Polish units managed to evacuate to Britain. Among them were Polish pilots. Commanders of RAF soon realized that Poles brought a great deal of experience from September 1939 fights against Luftwaffe. Sixteen Polish squadrons were formed as a part of RAF. One of these squadrons, 303 Kościuszko Fighter Squadron, became particularly famous. It was the highest scoring RAF squadron of the Battle of Britain. Some Polish fighters became legends. One of the pilots was Sergeant Stanisław Karubin, who used unusual tactics to bring down a German fighter. Following a prolonged air battle, Karubin was chasing a German fighter at treetop level. As he closed on the tail of the German fighter, Karubin realized that his hurricane had run out of ammunition. Rather than turning back to base, he closed the distance and climbed right above the German fighter. The German pilot was so shocked to see the underside of hurricane within meters of his cockpit. He instinctively reduced his attitude to avoid collision and crash into the ground. Experience, bravery, tactics, and determination characterize Polish pilots. Having such great pilots, commanders of RIF often used them as an escort. They escorted Lancaster bombers on their rights on targets in Germany. Among those escorted 
were New Zealand brave bomber pilots and crews. Many pilots lost their life fighting for peace and freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, our task and obligation is to keep alive the memory of fallen heroes, especially now during turbulent times in many places on the earth, including Europe. No one can guarantee that world, our world will be safe and peaceful forever. But to maintain the peace, we must learn from the past and teach new generations about the history. We cannot allow the history to repeat itself. Thank you. Today we come together to recognise and remember the personnel of Bomber Command and the sacrifices they made and the effect Bomber Command had on the outcome of the war. For most of World War II, Bomber Command was one of the only methods the Allies had of hitting back against Germany. Attacking German military resources and industry in an effort to disrupt the war effort and weaken enemy morale. Albert Speer, Hitler's ministry, Minister of Armaments, acknowledged that the air war opened a second front long before the invasion of Europe. Defence against air attacks required the production of hundreds of thousands of anti-aircraft guns, stockpiling of tremendous amounts of ammunition around the country and hundreds of thousands of soldiers manning their guns, often inactive for months. This accompanied with the clean-up crews required to mop up after the raids diverted huge amounts of resources from the Russian front. For many of the New Zealanders attached to Bomber Command, their war started with training at the Empire Flying School in Alberta, Canada. The clear skies and flat terrain of Canada, often antipodal to the environment experienced in the United Kingdom and Europe that they would see upon arrival. Early New Zealand pilots would be flying missions with as little as 10 hours flying time experience. This lack of experience added to the casualties that the New Zealanders sustained. When looking at the map of casualties of Bomber Command, it is sobering to see the extremely high numbers of New Zealand losses, particularly the concentration around Dusseldorf, Dormant and Cologne. Yet equally eye-catching are the number of casualties within England largely attributed to training accidents. The sheer magnitude and scale of loss of life is daunting to comprehend. All those young New Zealand lads sent to fight for our freedom, never to return home, or as the expression of the time put it, gone for a burden. The total numbers of Bomber Command losses speaks volumes. Of the 125,000 aircrew that made up Bomber Command over the span of the war, 55,573 were killed. 44.4% of the total aircrew number. With a further 8,400 wounded and 9,800 prisoners of war. A Bomber Command crew member had a worse chance of survival than an infantry officer in World War I. 
while so many perished, luck certainly played a part in many aviators' fortunes. I recall the story of a young pilot straight from training on his first mission. The mission was to bomb the docks of Calais, and in all, the aircraft carried 15 1,000-pound bombs. It was a clear night, and the crew could clearly see the fingers of the docks. The young pilot decided that he needed precision and accuracy. He wanted to make his bombs count. So he decided to drop his bombs one at a time, making an accurate procedural turn after each drop, and then run back in on the reciprocal line over those docks. After a few drops, the pilot started to notice little flashes on the perspex of the cockpit, like someone was lighting a lighter behind us. He asked the gunner what was the light behind us. The gunner replied it was flat, but it's all well behind. After another three passes, the flashes were getting brighter and brighter, and with a loud crump accompanying them. The pilot again asked the gunner and was told, yes, it's still good, it's 25 yards off. On the next run, they dropped the lot and returned home. Many other New Zealand airmen weren't so lucky, and too many other stories end with a mate, a crew member, or an entire crew as casualties. All of the veterans here today will have similar stories of friends left behind and lives ended far too soon. It is on days like today that we remember them, but I'm sure they are never too far from your thoughts. We should also spare a thought for the loved ones left behind in New Zealand with limited or sporadic news, waiting patiently for their Fred or Trevor to return home. It cannot have been easy, and many of you here would have seen that firsthand. So thank you to those that served in Bomber Command.
leaving most of its equipment in France. The Germans, with the world's most powerful army and air force, controlled Europe from northern Norway to France's border with Spain. The Royal Navy was occupied protecting vital supply convoys from Canada and the USA. The only way of attacking Germany now was with Bomber Command, but at that time the RAF still only had twin-engine, light and medium-sized bombers. Nevertheless, much hope and faith rested on their striking ability. The vital task of bombing Germany fell to RAF aircrews who faced some of the most terrifying combat conditions of World War II. Bomber Command flew missions on almost every day and night of the war. It was the only arm of the British forces to continually attack the German homeland throughout the war. All 125,000 men who served with Bomber Command were volunteers, with an average age of 21. They signed up for the bomber offensive despite knowing that they faced worse odds than any other Allied unit during the Second World War. In total, during the Second World War, Bomber Command flew in a total of 364,514 operational sorties, dropping over a million and thirty thousand tonnes of bombs. It lost 8,325 aircraft in action, flying from 101 operational bases across the east of England. But today, as we have just passed the 70th anniversary of D-Day, where I was honoured to be a guest at the National Commemoration at Parliament, and then laying up at the New Zealand Normandy banner, I thought it would be appropriate to mention the exploits of Bomber Command and their support to the Normandy landings. Over 1,086 aircraft from Bomber Command supported the Normandy landings, but their work and support was far more than that. Beginning in April 1944, Bomber Command focused on pre-evasion targets, their main goal being to prevent enemy forces in Normandy from being reinforced by rail. By the 5th of June, the day before D-Day, of their 37 rail targets, 27 were sufficiently damaged to require no more attention, and 15 were severely damaged, the rail system linking France, linking France and Germany being most severely crippled. They had also laid 2,198 mainline laying sorties being flown to protect flanks of the invasion corridor. Military camps, ammunition depots and explosives and armament factories have been attacked. Most of the enemy airfields assigned to Bomber Command were put out of action, and 30 coastal batteries have been attacked. Due to the attacks of Bomber Command against enemy airfields, scarcely a single enemy aircraft appeared over the beaches during the Normandy landings. Bomber Command also took part in operations taxable and glimmer. This involved bombers on the night before D-Day flying low over the sea in precise, elongated, overlapping circuits parallel to the coast, gradually closing in towards the shore. Window strips valuing in foil that were excellent radar reflectors were dropped at precisely timed intervals. This created the illusion of on onshore base radar that large numbers of ships were approaching. Also during the night of 5-6 June, Bomber Command flew a further 1,211 sorties, nearly all in direct support of the invasion forces. Of these, 1,012 air aircraft attacked 10 artillery batteries covering the invasion beaches. Radio and radar stations were also attacked. Explosives and dummy parachutes were dropped to simulate airborne landings over areas not being invaded. During the night of 8-9 June, 483 bombers attacked railways to prevent enemy reinforcements from reaching Normandy. The first 12,000-pound Torboy bombs were dropped on a railway tunnel near Semur to block an enemy panzer unit which had been expected to move to the front. Torboys were again used when Bomber Command attacked the E-boats based at Le Havre and Boulogne. It was reported that the 54 E-boats located in the two ports, 53 were sunk and only a single E-boat was operational after the raids. Following the landings, Allied armies remained locked in the battle with a determined enemy defence for a further eight weeks before breaking out to sweep towards Germany. In support of this battle, Bomber Command undertook direct bombing of enemy troop and gun positions, ammunition and oil dumps, and rail and road command communications to the battlefront. Against all of this, the enemy mounted a massive effort to protect itself from Bomber Command prior to D-Day and in subsequent observations, op operations. This deprived their Army and Air Force of vital men and equipment. 
75% of their heavy anti-tank guns, manned by 900,000 soldiers, had to be used as anti-aircraft guns, scattered all over Germany because it could not be predicted when the bombers would strike next. Enemy factories also had to concentrate producing aircraft which was used in a defensive role. Bomber command was a key part of the success of the D-Day landings and the Normandy offensive that followed, and this is often overlooked in the history of this pivotal day in the following eight weeks in the Second World War. In conclusion, I have a message for all members of Bomber Command who are here today from Sir Michael Beetham, the last surviving Chief of the Air Staff with World War II experience, having been a Lancaster pilot. Despite poor health, he asked me to pass on his thoughts to you all gathered here today and to pass on his best wishes for the events at Motat later this afternoon. He also asked me to remind you of the motto of Bomber Command, as for a moment you return to the memories of your youth. Strike hard, strike short. Thank you. Thank you, Colonel Woodman. And lastly, if I could call upon Wing Commander Stuart Oliver of the Royal Australian Air Force to address you. Marshal Lundy, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. It's with honour that I sit here today and look out at the gathering here and see the honours and awards that were bestowed upon you on behalf of a grateful nation. Australia and New Zealand, along with other British dominions, were signatories to the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan, whereas some knew it, the Empire Air Training Scheme. And as a collective, those nations provided 131,500 men to the war effort, 7,000 of which were New Zealanders, with the bulk assigned to Bomber Command. This is significant as at the outbreak of the war, the New Zealand Air Force consisted 92 officers and 665 airmen in full-time service. By the end of the war, New Zealand consisted some 42,000 members in uniform in the Air Force and had over 1,000 planes in its inventory. The deeds of New Zealanders within the Royal Air Force are well documented in books and other material for the Air War and the Second World War. Significantly, three Victorian crosses were awarded to New Zealanders, Sergeant James Ward, Squadron Leader Leonard Tent, and Flying Sergeant Louis Petit. Street names at New Zealand's premier military establishments honour notable uh, wartime actions, while every one of those actions were a matter of life and death to the men involved. When measured against the broad sweep of history itself, some scarcely make merit in the description of the word battle. It might seem remarkable, therefore, that some of the greatest battles in which New Zealanders have ever fought occurred and are now uh, acknowledged. Those battles took place in the skies over Germany in the Second World War with uh, unfamable losses. With the safety involved in today's Air Force, few give recall that in the early days of World War II, weather was the greatest enemy, amplified by the lack of navigational and bombing aims. But with their introduction, so too was the proliferation of air defences on the German path, which formed what must have appeared to have been an almost impenetrable shield. We should not lose sight that the missions of the era consisted of squadrons and wings targeting single or multiple targets. It was this volume of aircraft and a single geographic point in space that led to such large losses. As an Australian, 460 squadron resonated with me as its losses meant that as a squadron it was lost three times over. In terms of New Zealand, 75 squadron comes to the fore. During World War II, New Zealand had a population of one and a half million. Just under one tenth were in uniform. As mentioned a few moments ago, most of the 7,000 New Zealand aircrew trained under the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan between 39 to 45 and were attached to Bomber Command. There are, therefore, I think that in this year, a year marked by centennial commemorations, and as an Air Force officer, we should not lose sight of the sacrifices made by those men of Bomber Command. As mentioned already, Bomber Command flew some 373,000 sorties, lost over 8,000 aircraft, 47,000 aircrew, and the highest pro rate of loss of any Allied unit uh, was in Bomber Command. In terms of what that meant nationally, the overall contribution made by New Zealand to World War II 
was uh, in total 131,000 personnel, just under 10% of the population, with a combined loss of just short of 12,000 people. Of this 131,000 personnel, 7,000 which were uh, trained and deployed under the British Commonwealth Air Training Scheme. This equates to 5% of total uniformed personnel deployed. In terms of total percentage lost, it accounted for 31% of the total deaths within uh, Bomber Command itself. To this, I've not mentioned those who were shot down, survived and spent the remainder of the war terms in, uh, in internment. Whatever the morality of the uh, combined bomber offensive may have been, there uh, is the indisputable fact that stands out. First, the men of the Royal Australian uh, Correction, the Royal New Zealand Air Force, fought in that offensive over Germany. Uh, they did so under lawful direction of their government and under the command of the, uh, the commanders of their assigned units. Second, in terms of the casualties, New Zealanders was the most savage and the most uh, dangerous sustained campaign ever fought by New Zealanders during World War II. And third, theirs was the, uh, the major contribution of any New Zealanders to the defeat of Germany and therefore to the ultimate Allied victory over the Germans. It was the men of Bomber Command who are here today to honour with uh, this Commonwealth's commemoration of Bomber Command. And I ask you to remember that it was they alone who opened up the second front in Germany four years before D-Day. It was the men of Bomber Command who alone inflicted decisive damage on the German war economy. As Albert Speer lamented, Bomber Command's victory represented the greatest lost battle on the German side. Finally, in closing, I think it's fitting that we uh, close with the 75 squadron motto, Ako Ako Kia Forever, ever, be strong. Thank you. Commander Oliver. Right, I'll now uh, make a call to uh, Labor Reeves. Um, if I could start with Ron Mayhill, President of the New Zealand Bomber Command Association, please. individual had to find their way of maintaining a steadfast resolve in the face of often the risk of death. Flight Sergeant Hugh Brodie was posted missing on the 3rd of June 1942 after the Wellington bomber in which he was observed, observer failed to return from a raid in Essen in Germany. A prayer was found among Brodie's personal belongings. Prayer read, Almighty and all present power, 
short is the prayer I make to thee. I do not ask in battle hour for any shield to cover me. The vast unalterable way from which the stars do not depart may not be turned aside to stay the bullet flying to the heart. I ask no help to strike my foe. I seek no petty victory here. The enemy I hate, I know to thee is also dear, but this I pray, be at my side when death is drawing through the sky. Almighty God, who also died, teach me the way I should die. Let us remember before God and commend to his sure keeping those who have died in the service of their country. Those whom we knew, whose memories we treasure, and all who have lived and died in the service of humanity. I ask you now to stand please for the last post, and then that oath will be read by Kaibun Commander Gordon Ray. They shall grow not old, as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will, we will remember them.
on the Warrenism uh, Liberal Chaplain to uh, conduct the final policing. Let's pray. May God grant to the living peace, to the departed rest, to all people peace and concord, and to us and all his servants life everlasting. In the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Thank you, Chaplain. Right, by the the veterans who are over to, um, we have some copies here. If you wish to lay those at the memorial, please feel free to do so. Thank you very much for coming everybody and hope to see you all again next year.